Well, good morning. Good morning. Well, my name is Jay Cole, one of the pastors here, in case we've not met, and uh, you guys are Super Bowl champions. How about that? I say you guys. I live in Kansas City as well. Some have said that I'm a Fairweather fan, but no, I am, I am deeper in now with the Chiefs, and it's been fabulous. How many of you braved the elements and got downtown and, and did this celebration with the city? Yes? Awesome. Isn't it fun just to see us come together for something larger for, than ourselves uh, in the city? Really, really fun. Um, and we've got a sister church in San Francisco who made a wager. Now, we don't, we don't have any footage from them yet because today they're going to have to wear Kansas City swag on stage, and then they're going to send us not just the video, I hope. We'll have to just find out what kind of footage we can get. But they're also going to send us what I would consider the, at least the four food groups, um, beer and bread and chocolate. And then um, they're not sending us this, but it's ours to take the tears of our opponents. So a little salty washdown, if you will. Well, really fun. We'll hear a little bit more from them next week. Hopefully, we put out a, a reach. Uh, they might be groveling in their loss, but we'll continue to celebrate in our victory. And we are champions for a year. How about that? Fun. Well, we've been singing about the champion of champions, who is Jesus. We sang about the victory that is ours because he's out of the grave. That borrowed tomb is now empty, and we have the victory. And if you don't know of that victory, we've been looking at the life of Jesus out of the book of Luke. Luke is a doctor. He's a historian. He's an author. He was eyewitness to so many things, and he wanted to give us like this historical record in his gospel. Now, there's four gospels. Luke's one of them, but you've got Matthew, you've got Mark, and you've got John. But, but Luke, uh, because he's a doctor, has much to do about healing and physical stuff, uh, but he, he portrays Jesus uh, right from his birth. So if you've been reading with us um, by the way, I encourage you to continue reading us. We're in, we're in chapter 9 this week, uh, but you can do so by going to our site under the media tab, and it says Journey. You can jump in and see where we are in terms of reading. So if you have not been doing that, you can hop in with us, or you can go right into the app, and there's an icon that says The Journey, and it gives you uh, five readings for the week, Monday through Friday, uh, just an opportunity for us to jump in that together. So uh, if you've been reading the uh, Luke 2, you've got the birth narrative of Jesus, and then in Luke 3, you've got the baptism of Jesus, where there was an audible voice from heaven. It was the Father who said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, right? Then the Spirit of God rested upon him. Immediately, the Scripture said, he led him into the, the desert. Full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus goes into the desert, tempted of the devil, and then it says, verse 14 of Luke 4, that Jesus came out in the power of the Spirit. And then all of a sudden, Jesus moves into just kind of going out publicly, talking about the good news of his Father, of his kingdom, and he's saying spectacular things, and he's doing spectacular things. I mean, he's healing people. He's forgiving sins. And the kinds of teaching he has is filled with power. And then in Luke 5, he goes and he calls his disciples to himself. Now, these guys are riffraff. They're fishermen. Uh, they're kind of the B team. And he reaches out to them, by the way, in a miracle in terms of fishing. They had fished all day and they hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says, well, go out in your boat, cast the net on the other side. And they're like, Jesus we are fishermen, we know the seas, we know what we're doing, we've been doing this for decades, and our parents have done the same. He says, no, I want you to go out in the boat, 
and they cast the net on the other side, and they, their nets filled to the point that they were breaking, that they had to get other ships to come in and help them. They came ashore, and Jesus said, I want you to come follow me. He had just demonstrated the spectacular, and he says, I'm going to make you fishers, not of fish, but of people. And so he calls his disciples, and they say yes, they drop their nets, and they follow. And then they go out, and they do amazing things. And they're with him now, these disciples, and they're watching these miracles, and they're listening to the authoritative teaching of Jesus. And by the way, we're going to get to Luke 9 here in a moment, but he sends these disciples out at the beginning of of chapter 9. I mean, this is like six months in. This is 101. Remember, he calls his disciples. Three and a half years later, Jesus dies. He's sending out the disciples at the beginning of chapter 9, and he sends them out. Here's what it says. He sends them out with power and authority to preach the good news and to cure diseases. Like, this is 101 stuff for these guys. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been walking with Jesus for about 30 years. That's not, I didn't feel like that was, nobody introduced me 101 for six months. Hey, I give you power, go preach the gospel, and go cure diseases. Did that happen to you? I mean, this is real-time stuff for us as we read this. Now we get to chapter 9, and uh, at the end of the first part, it actually says, he sends them out. He says, don't bring a tunic, an extra one. Don't bring extra food. Don't bring money. Stay at the house that welcomes you. And Jesus sends them in all these villages and all these different towns, and they go out. And it says, they went and they were healing everywhere. And that's where the story picks up for us. We'll put it on the screen for you. It's in um, Luke chapter 9. And have you seen these things that they put over your face as you get older? Yeah, they're, um, here we go. All right, I need them or we just can't continue. Now you guys are all blurry. I don't, I don't know how you do these things, but here we go. On the screen. On the return, the apostles told him all that they had done. Let's just pause there. I don't know how it would be for you, but if a bunch of my buddies and I went out to the surrounding towns and we're talking about the good news and we're staying staying at people's homes and we were curing diseases, I mean, I'd come back with all the hoopla. I mean, it would be amazing. We're like, I got to tell you what happened and and here's what happened in the home we stayed in and here's the folks that were resistant and here's the, the diseases that came to us and we didn't know what to do and we just used the name of Jesus and stuff happened. And Jesus like, I know, that's my Father's kingdom. That's what this is like. That's what I gave you power to do. So that's kind of the context that's happening here. All right, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned of it, now you'd think the crowds would be onto them because healing is happening. I mean, Jesus is saying spectacular things. There's power in demonstration. Of course, they're beating a path to the door of these people. They've got to be where they are. Either they've got difficulty or they need some healing. They've got to find this one. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him and welcomed them and spoke to them the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. So Jesus is continuing to take these guys to school because they're now following him. And as they go together into this place, they're still teaching about God's kingdom and their healing. It's an amazing story. Now, the day began to wear away, and the 12 came and said to him. So, as I just paused, the day began to wear away. I just, I can imagine that they just got enthralled in what the day was, and all these people, there's 5,000, it tells us in a moment, and they're healing. They probably forgot to eat. And so these guys say, hey, 
send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. Again, discipleship 101. Jesus, we've got no food. We thought we had a good plan. That's what we do. We're on your team. We realize these people are hungry. We're going to send them into a, a city because we're in a desolate place. And Jesus takes that pivot moment, makes the shift, invites them into something they hadn't seen before and says, guys, why don't you feed them? And, and look at the response. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we were to go and buy food for all these people. You know, could we, is DoorDash, did they deliver out here? You know, does, does Apple pay? Will they take that? I mean, does the satellite reach this desolate place? For there were about 5,000 men, which means there were probably 7, 10, 15,000 people with women and children. So Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate, and they were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. It's an amazing story. You just fed at least 5,000, if not 10, two fish and five loaves. What was in the heart of Jesus that he would actually say to these guys, I know we don't have any food, but you, why don't you feed them? I think there was something that Jesus knew that they didn't. I mean, they, they did know his authority because they've been hearing his teaching. They were given his power and authority because they just got back from the towns telling people about the good news of his kingdom. They understood about healing because they had just cured diseases. But feeding people, giving them something out of nothing, we don't have anything but two fish and five loaves. How in the world are we supposed to feed them? And see, Jesus, he knew the Father's kingdom. Jesus knew this relationship with his Father that there was endless resource available in this moment. And though in the natural, it looked like dire situation, best case scenario, village, that's where we can rest and get food. Jesus pivots in this moment and he invites the disciples into a supernatural encounter with the kingdom of God. And see, there's something that Jesus knew deep inside of his person. He was living out, Father is my provider. He was living out the kingdom of God is at hand. He was living out the, avail the, the resources of heaven are available. That's what Jesus knew. What he didn't know is do these people who are walking with me know the way of my Father and his kingdom and his resources like I know? What was Jesus doing? He was reorienting perspective so they could join his perspective in this miraculous event. So what did Jesus want them to know? Jesus regularly was saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. Shabu came on stage last week and he talked about the, the seed sowing. 
It's like the seed. A couple weeks ago, he talked about the man that was paralyzed and dropped down through the roof and he was healed. Jesus regularly is talking about, in my Father's kingdom, it is like this and it is like that. Jesus would say things like, I only do what I see the Father doing, or I only speak what I hear the Father saying. And, and then he'd say, the Father shows me these things. He speaks these things to me because he loves me. He'd say things like, the Father in heaven and I, we're, we're one. And I want you to know this, Father. I want you to know this oneness. I want you to know these resources. I want you to know the power of the kingdom that is available to you. This is what Jesus is offering to his disciples. And it's not just to him and them then. It's for us now. I mean, Jesus is still calling disciples, and he comes to us and he says, hey, come follow me. You can be with me. You can join me relationally and in the activity that I'm doing in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your community. That's the offer that Jesus has for us. And he says things like, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Jesus came that we could have a tangible picture of the Father and his kingdom and all that's available to us. And it's available here, now, today. One of my favorite authors is a guy named John Eldridge. He's a speaker, soul care provider, discipler out of Colorado. In uh, one of his books called Fathered by God, he says it this way. Look to the screens. He says, you are the son or daughter of a kind, strong, and engaged father. A father wise enough to guide you in the way, generous to provide for your journey, offering to walk with you every step. That is what Jesus is trying to describe to these men in this pivot moment you feed them. It's not simply about the feeding, it's that he wants them to have the perspective change where they could depend and trust on the resources of the kingdom of God, different than the surge and all the things that happen in the modern life of the day. And then John goes on to say this. This is perhaps the hardest thing for us to believe, really believe deep down in our hearts so that it changes us forever, changes the way we approach every day. God, through Jesus, wants us to see him as this great, kind, strong, Generous, generous, um, present Father who's walking with us every moment of every day and says, like in Peter, I promise you that I've given to you everything that pertains to life and to godliness. Now, I don't know about you, but I wake up many a day with lack, insecurity, inadequacy, need. Now, I wake up lots of days too. Joy, excitement, can't wait for things to happen. But Jesus moves in with these pivot moments to just speak deep to our hearts. So I want to tell you a bit of a story. I was in Atlanta a few weeks ago. It was during the ice storm. Do you remember here in Kansas City when the, um, the Delta plane went off the runway? Do you remember that? Yeah, lots of things were shut down. I happened to be in Atlanta. It was sunny. It was beautiful. Um, but my flight got canceled that day. And so I'm in the Atlanta airport. I've been there a number of times before, flying southwest this day. 
And I got there at noon, my flight was about 1.30, and at 1.30, they had just canceled the flight, and the best I could do is get out two days later on a Sunday. So I was there on a Friday. So I ended up staying in the airport for eight hours, but it was actually barren because everybody, the, the flights were canceled, and they went ahead and uh, people just didn't show up. And so there was actually one Southwest agent for like 15 or 16 of the gates. So thankfully, I got out late that night on a late night flight. It was the last out, got home, and uh, everything worked out just fine. But I've told this next part of the story to you before, but I, I just felt impressed to share it one more time this morning. I went down to the corridor, the end of the Southwest Terminal, and there's five gates down there, kind of like a horseshoe. And in my eight-hour layover, I just was looking for things to do. And as I walked down there, I saw this completely empty, not a person in the terminal down on that portion. The last time I had been there, the story happened like this. So it, 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 this is at least a year old. I was supposed to fly home on a Tuesday. Somehow I booked my flight for a Wednesday. Oops. I'm trying to check in, and my, I couldn't check in. Have you ever done that where you got to get home a day early, but you bought the, the ticket a day late and a dollar short? It cost me 300 extra dollars to get home a day early. I didn't know the folks that were on my uh, uh, part of the larger team had that same flight. There was about four of them. So I show up to the gate uh, late at night. It's like 10 o'clock, and they happen to be there. And they're like, we didn't know you were on this flight. And I was like, I didn't know I was on this flight. And then I didn't want to tell them that, hey, me, dummy, I, I scheduled it for the wrong day. I was supposed to fly out tomorrow and it cost me all this money. Well, here we were delayed because somebody pulled their luggage out of that top rack, knocked down the um, exit sign, and it just it was hanging. And it took them about two and a half hours to fix that into the ceiling. And so many of the flights, there was a couple hundred people in this quarter on this horseshoe because there's five different gates. And so we're standing up thinking we're about to get on this flight. And I said to the team, I said, hey, do you think I can get the names and places of where people live from 10 people around us? Just having a little fun late at night. Everybody's cranky. I thought, let's spice it up. They said, we don't think you can. I mean, quickly, I got up to about nine. And I paused and said, hey, I only need one more. Are you sure you want to go further? Yeah, I don't think you can get the last one. People of Southwest Terminal, I shouted. These folks don't think I can get your names and the places where you live people started rattling off, just telling me places. And all of a sudden, we had this conversation about 75 of us, kind of, you know, getting on our plane. Well, next thing you know, the larger swath, everybody's kind of peeking up. And, and so I jump in with, hey, I bet you can't guess what I do for a job. So, I mean, we're just kind of carrying this. And um, somebody says, uh, well, I think you're a plumber. I said, I don't understand. Maybe you're a salesman. Nope. Teacher. Nope. I mean, they got to the point they were repeating things, like they didn't hear each other. Somebody said, hey, uh, I think you're a comedian. I said, well, I pause. I'm funny, but I'm not a comedian. Somebody said, then you're unemployed. <laughs> so, I mean, this, this happened for about 15 minutes, you know, and the folks that are on my team are like sinking in their seat, like, please don't let anybody know that we're associated by this time, I'm standing at one of those southwest pillars. There was nobody standing next to me. They, they all had left. I'm by myself, my best environment. 
And I said, okay, I'm ready to tell you what I do, but I just got to let you know, as soon as I tell you what I do for a job, it's going to be like a lead balloon on the conversation. It's going to split the room. And I said, are you guys ready? Like, yeah, tell us. I said, I'm a pastor. Sure enough, wet blanket, split the room. I let it sit for a bit. No problem, occupational hazard, I get it all the time, and I kick back in. And we just started talking, I, I can't remember the next topic. Uh, oh, a guy yells out, I was hoping you were an a airplane repairman. And I said, uh, actually, uh, and then somebody said, well, I was hoping you sell insurance. And I said, well, actually, I sell insurance of a different kind. So let me just pause. Here's what's going on inside of me. I mean, I got excited for this moment. Stuff is happening and, and we were having fun. But all of a sudden, I began to see things in people's faces and I knew things about their story that God was showing me from his kingdom. It's very supernatural. And as I'm having conversation, I'm like, oh my word, I know something about that person. And he's wanting me to offer encouragement as we're having this banter that is public. And in that moment, God's like, hey, I want you to turn this conversation and I want you to tell them about the good news of my kingdom. And it reminds me of Luke 9 where Jesus gave them authority and power to go tell about the good news of the kingdom and heal. And you'd think like a good pastor that somehow I did us well and I spoke up and I said, hey, I just want to tell you. But inside, I just crumbled to the point that I shut down almost immediately, put my hand in my pocket and I realized I am really hot and I'm, I was shaking. And then I looked around and nobody is standing around me. Thankfully, in about 20 seconds, people just got back to the normal life, and I went down and sat with my team, and they did not want me to, you know, like, hey, I don't know if we know you. I ended up getting on the plane first, and I'm sitting down in the front row, and people were passing me, and nobody would look at me coming onto the plane. And shame began to sit in. And as we were taking off, I just was saying to the Father, I'm really sorry that I didn't say anything. And I felt like the Father said to me, son, I'm not upset with you. I am so proud of you. And I just want you to know that if you went for it, I would have been with you. Now, the reason I'm telling you that story is it came back to my mind on Thursday night because I had a gentleman that came to me and said, hey, I just want you to know I've been going to the supermarket and I've been wanting to just tell people good news in the supermarket and do some healing. And I said, hey, most people go to the supermarket to get groceries. He said, well, I'll get groceries, but I'm really excited about what God's doing in my life, and I just feel prompted to do this. And so he goes in the grocery store, and the first guy he mets, uh, meets, uh, he says, hey, how are you doing? And the guy said, awful. Oh, really? What's going on? My hip. What's wrong with your hip? It won't heal. He said, oh, okay. Guy walked away. He said, I just wish I could get healed. And he said, what happened inside of his heart, he's like, I weenied out. I mean, it was the first person I met. I didn't think God was going to throw me a softball. And then can you imagine being in the, in the supermarket and, and, and doing what Jesus does and say, hey, can I just pray that God would heal you? And he was telling me how bad he was feeling. And I just told him the story that I told you about the airport and how I felt shame. And yet God said to me, hey, if you had stepped into that, I would have and he began to weep. And so people, here's what I want you to hear today is that you and I have a good father. That no matter where you are in the desolate place of your life, he comes through with resources. Now, it's not void of pain and difficulty. In fact, he often heats up the situation because the heat opens us up 
And often the fire that comes with the heat, now the metaphor, it begins to burn out the stuff in our life that God says, hey, this is getting in the way from you understanding my kingdom perspective and the resources that I have available to you because I'm that kind, strong, generous father who wants to take every step with you. That's what we're learning from Jesus as it relates to these 5,000 that he's feeding. So, so how does Jesus get folks into that kind of knowing? How do we get the kind of confidence that these disciples had to actually sit people down and let Jesus help them feed 5,000 people? It's actually right in the middle of the selection. Put it on the screen. It's when the disciples said this, for we are here in a desolate place. Jesus does his defining work in the desolate places. The places that are hard, the places that there's a pivot, the places that, hey, I thought everything was great and we're having a great time. I mean, we're healing and doing all this stuff and now you want us to feed these people? And Jesus, he moves in in a pivot and what seems to be a desolate place becomes a defining place for their perspective about God's provision. I was just with a dear friend the other night, Thursday night, and this dear friend, I remember about a year ago, had lost his job of 30 years. They were downsizing, and he had to move on, and he did not know what he was going to do a year ago. And I, and I watched him push towards God, so as the heat of the situation got more intense, it just opened him up to God. He and his wife hunkered down and stretched their finances. I remember him calling me and telling me this morning I spent an hour or two reading God's word. I was praying. I don't know how to do these things and I'm journaling. And he did that almost every day and continues to this day for an entire year. And what happened is life heated up. I watched him, opened up to God. Because it's not so much what we do in the desolate place is how we respond to what God's doing. He said, I'm going to respond to whatever God's doing in this heated situation of my life. And as he began to press in, what he discovered is, while this was a disruption that seemed so interrupted, it actually became defining for me. It changed my trajectory that will actually echo for eternity. See, God's notorious for positioning us to be in places where we're absolutely dependent upon Him. And He loves it because He wants to come through with incredible resources. So what makes a desolate moment? What are a desolate, uh, what's a, a desolate place? It's, it's when things heat up. It's when the challenge is on. For example, Maybe there's a financial setback, loss of job like we talked about, the emergency fund runs dry, the month-to-month, week-to-week paycheck is not cutting it because more is going out than is coming in, or it's that college bill as a student that's not getting paid, or as a parent, you don't feel like you can come through for your child. It, it, it could be the addition of a child, a surprise, a great joy, but a great gulp. Or maybe, maybe a relational tension there's a roommate that a tough situation. 
close friend, close coworker, or that boss. Maybe you're that boss. Or that spouse. I put those close together, but I don't mean spouse is my, the boss of me. Could be a tough relationship in terms of a divorce and recovery. Could be a tragic loss. It could just be internally, you feel lost. And there's a sense of just even depression setting in. And you know deep down inside, something is just off. And whether it's a small moment or a big moment, Jesus comes into the middle of those moments when the heat is on and the challenge is up and we feel like it's a desolate place, even maybe a desert place, and we feel parched and he seizes that moment to reorient us to the Father and to the kingdom and to the resources. So I've been in one of these moments myself since about January. And uh, many of you know uh, senior leader um, Dan Diebel has transitioned. And if that's new news to you, uh, you can go out to the site. Here is January 26th message. You can uh, read the letter that uh, he's, he's written to us as a congregation to talk about his transition into the marketplace. And, and so anytime you have that kind of transition within the body, there's, you know, there's ripple effects and, and it impacts us as staff because we're, we're saying, okay, how are we moving forward? Our primary communication and storyteller is, is now not here and, and we're doubling up on efforts. And so any type of transition like that, the heat, you know, it just, it grows and the challenge is on. And when I was down in Atlanta, when that ice storm hit and I had to be in the airport for eight hours, I was actually late to a meeting because of uh, uh, traffic in Atlanta. And I came at the tail end of the, the beginning of this session where they were doing the devotional time. So they opened the Bible and they talked a little bit to encourage our souls. And all I heard the gal who was leading that morning talk about was how when a pine cone is heated up, it releases its seeds. And there was something about that that resonated in my heart, and I was like, God, I think that's the season I'm in. I think I'm that pine cone. I actually think that, that I am getting in a heated season, and you're opening me up because you want to do something marvelous. And then last week, as we're listening to Shibu, and he comes out with his bag of seed. And uh, by the way, I, I, have a, I have a different bag. He, he had seeds. I have pine cones. I mean, like lots of them. I didn't know. You can go to Amazon, and I got a box of pine cones delivered to my house. So you can imagine my wife. She's like, hey, we could have just walked around the corner and uh, saved $15. But I said, hey, we got free shipping because it's prime. So, so Shabu talked about seed and how it gets cast and how in the seed is the DNA for the tree and actually for an entire forest, but in a pine cone is the DNA as well. There's many seeds, so there's many forests. But on a single tree, there's dozens upon dozens of pine cones. And so he gave us this picture as he laid and looked up at the redwood trees. And so these are large trees, 2,000 years old. Now, I'm not trying to one-up uh, Shabu here, right? But the sequoia, for instance, I didn't take this picture. I mean, they're, they're a little bit bigger. 3,000 years old, okay? No, for the sake of story, look at the perspective. A couple slides here. Look at how big these trees are. It's a mammoth if you've not been to Sequoia National Park. Uh, show the next one. A couple kids trying to get around the trunk. I did a little research about pine cones, fire, and sequoias this week. Did you know the trunk on a sequoia like that could be two to two and a half feet thick? 
It's very resilient against fast-moving fire. Did you know that a sequoia is dependent upon fire for reproduction? That without fire, it won't heat up the pine cones. And when the pine cones are opened up, the seed is released. And because the fire on the forest ground, it clears out and it allows the seeds to germinate and then more sequoias can grow. And I feel like what God's been speaking to me, and I think it's true for us, Heartland, that in the swirl of maybe the heat up, the challenge, the fire that actually can look like it creates desolation. It's part of the ecosystem of God where he, like a pine cone, my life is like a pine cone where he opens it up and he deposits great things and he pulls out great things so that the movement of God can get bigger in my life but that can multiply for the lives of others. People of God, does that make sense this morning? So this picture of a pine cone in a glove, go to the next one, please, reminds me of my life in the hand of the Father. What even though I feel like I could be in a desolate place, or even though the heat is on, even though the challenge is up, God is saying, I have you. This is my way. I think James says it the best. Let's skip to that slide if we could. He says this, consider it a sheer gift. You might have read this, count it all joy. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. You see, the reality is I want to wake up in the morning and I want to go through life and not be deficient in any way. And what I'm discovering is the pathway of God is often he'll bring the tests and the challenge and the trial, the desolation, if you will, the fire, things heat up. And it's God's way to bring that about. And he first wants me to actually consider that a gift from God. To actually count it joy that I'm having difficulty in my life. Because it's in that moment that God moves in and does his defining work. He uses the heat to open us up. And I fear what can often happen, and I do it, when things get heated up, I can close off to protect myself and then I miss out on the faith-shaping opportunity. And just like the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus comes to us in a heated moment in a place that feels like it's desolate for us. And he says, I want to show you the resources of the Father. I want to show you what my Father's kingdom's like. I want you to know that he is going to be for you like a strong and kind and generous father who's going to walk with you every step of the way. And so if you look at the landscape around you and it feels a bit desolate, or if you're feeling things that are just kind of heating up, 
the encouragement in this season is actually to say, I think God might be onto something. He might be having a gift that is coming near to me to open me up to his kingdom, to his resource, to healing, to good news. God knows we need good news on a daily basis. God knows we need healing on a daily basis. We've got a couple questions for us to ponder as the band leads us in a moment in our time of worship. And I want to put them on the screen here for reflection. Where is God's gift close to your life? Say, how would I know that? What's the challenge you're facing? Where is it heated up? Where are you feeling the fire? Could be internal with depression. Could be in that relationship. A sense of loss. Could have had something happen tragic this week. Could be that things are exciting. And then tomorrow the pivot moment comes. Where do you sense, or excuse me, what do you sense God is doing in that gift moment? The last question, let's post that. Go ahead and pass it. Yeah, there you go. How are you going to respond? Can you take the first step today to count whatever the heated moment is for you as a gift, as joy? Because on the other side of that is the hope that God's going to come through and he's going to come through for you and me. So I'm just going to invite you just to open yourselves up in this moment and just ponder these questions. Where's God's gift close? What's God doing? How are you responding? I'm going to pray for us and we'll sing. Father, I just want to thank you for this moment. thank you for the gift of challenge and trials. I thank you for your way of the kingdom. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts even now in tender ways and bold ways. And we say thanks in the name of Jesus.